Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I hope you are doing well. Before we crack on to today's episode, I thought I'd start with a little bit of feedback that I got on the last episode in relation to ways to increase your income. The big takeaway that I really wanted to give on the episode on ways to increase your income is that multiple sources of income are really, really powerful. And I got an email from Cameron that really captured exactly what I was trying to get across. He said, I listened to your podcast today about overemployment. And I'm glad you threw it out there for people to consider. I really think it's important that we have multiple sources of income, regardless of where it comes from. I know overemployment is not possible for everyone, but it's definitely a tool people can use if the right opportunity comes up, especially if they want to get ahead financially. Guys, this was really the point that I was trying to get across. I have done presentations in the past on income, and when I've revealed that for many, many years now, I've had multiple sources of income, it came as quite a shock. And it's not about overemployment. It's not about working two jobs at the same time. And in fact, I don't recommend that at all because I don't think that's sustainable and it's not necessarily ethical as well, depending on how you do it. But to be able to find a little bit of additional income is going to make a massive difference and doors could open. One thing that inspired me all the way back during the COVID years in 2020 was when I had Ken on the show. I'll link to his interview in the show notes. And he challenged me on the interview to say, if you could change your financial future by working an extra two hours a day, would that make a difference? Now, for most of us, two hours a day probably wouldn't make a significant difference. But I did start working the extra two hours based on his feedback. And that's what eventually snowballed me into finding new opportunities and other ways to increase my income. So there's definitely opportunities out there. And don't be tricked into thinking that the only way that we're getting ahead is through one source of income. And it's not just a matter of having that one high paying job. We're actually working multiple jobs and having multiple sources of income to try and do this in a quick time when it comes to early retirement. So on to today's episode then. Today's episode has got nothing to do with income, but more along the sides of what to do with that income. As many of you guys know, particularly if you've been following my newsletter, in the last 15 months or so, we've actually bought three investment properties. And I'm pleased to say we are finished. We now own four investment properties and we have no plans to purchase any more. Our plan from here is simply just to pay off our mortgages and slip slowly in the joys of early retirement. So I thought it might be an idea for me to basically give away all my best kept secrets when it comes to finding a property and how one can get into the property game. I get this question a lot. And I have done episodes on property previously, so I'd certainly recommend checking them out. And again, I'll link to them in the show notes. But this one really is a boilerplate from how to get started from your very first step to actually seeing if you can put a property deal together. Just for those listeners that are based outside of Ireland, a few of the things here will be very Irish focused. However, the steps here should apply regardless of where you're actually buying the property. And also, I'm going to assume that we're looking for an investment property here, but some of these things might apply if you're looking to buy your own property anyway. So first and foremost, we need to assume that you've got a little bit of a deposit together. So we need to put ourselves in a situation where an auctioneer is actually going to take us seriously. So maybe before we've even done anything in terms of looking, we need to at least 
know that we potentially could get a mortgage. And that's where we start by reaching out with our bank or our mortgage broker. I interviewed my own broker recently. Again, I'll link that on the show notes. And Laura talks about the steps that she goes through to see if somebody can actually get a mortgage, at least in principle. So we're going to assume you've gone through and you've done that. Keep in mind that for an investment property in Ireland, you're typically going to need about a 30% deposit. And just to let you know, it's likely gonna be higher than that because it's getting so much harder to get lending with the interest rates as high as they are. Interest rates on buy-to-let mortgages are a lot higher than on your primary house. So we have most of our mortgages tracking at around seven to even seven and a half percent. So the interest rate is significant and thus my reason for wanting to pay down those mortgages far sooner rather than continuing to purchase more property. So once you're good to go, and you've got at least some sort of idea that you could purchase a property, where do you start? For me, buying an investment property is less about finding the right property and more about avoiding the wrong properties. It is a process of elimination. So the first place that I would typically start is asking the two questions. A, what's your budget? And B, what are the locations that you're looking for? At this stage, I wouldn't necessarily rule out apartments or townhouses or semi-detached or terrace houses. I'm not too worried about that. I'm more focused on budget and location. In Ireland, we have this thing called the rent pressure zone. So if you were to purchase an existing investment property, so a house has been rented up before, at least in the last two years, you can only charge 2% higher than the previous rent was recorded. Even though you're getting a whole new tenant, that just happens to be the way the law works. So you are finding a lot of investment properties being put on the market that are for sale with incredibly low rents. You will not get finance on those properties, at least in most cases, because the rent is simply too low. The amount of rent that you could charge for the property dictates the amount of money you can borrow. It's really, really important to note that, that the valuation from the rent is extremely important when it comes to actually being able to work out if you can borrow or not. Now, the problem with this is that, as one auctioneer told me recently, there is no longer true market rent. The truth is, and it's a sad truth, that landlords will typically charge any rent they like because there's no such thing as market rent anymore. It just doesn't make sense. We have a very nice three-bedroom property in a commuter town here in Limerick that's receiving 300 euro less than a small two-bedroom apartment in the same village. Again, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. However, when it comes to getting a valuation, you're going to find that your rental valuation is significantly less than what you will most likely be able to get when it comes to establishing some sort of market rent. And unfortunately, the banks want that valuation. They don't care too much about market rent. So what you'll find is that auctioneers will be looking for properties in the area that are similar in terms of the number of bedrooms and so on. They're gonna be using their rent figures. But what you'll probably find if that property's in say the rent pressure zone, that rent could be significantly lower than what the market rent is. So it becomes a bit of a coin toss when it comes to the valuation. In our case, in our most recent purchase, the auctioneer came back and put a rent of, I think, around 1450 Far too low. We, I knew that we were going to get around 1750 for the rent. As it was when the bank reviewed that valuation, they didn't give us the full mortgage that we asked for. Pain in the butt, let me tell you. In the end, we had to fork out an extra four grand. I could have gone and disputed the rental valuation, but again, I didn't know how far I was going to get. And actually, just a quick note on rental valuation. As I mentioned, this is getting harder and harder with interest rates going up. So I've actually found that you almost need to get as much as a gross 10% rental yield to make deals work these days, which is really, really difficult. What that means, if a property's worth, say, 200,000, then you need to be getting at least 20,000 euros a year in rent 
to actually make that deal work. But again, reach out to your bank and your mortgage broker because they're going to tell you exactly what that number needs to be and different lenders will have different rates. So just keep in mind that when I talk about rental valuation, that's what I'm referring to. Does the rent make sense for what you need for the finance? So let's put this together. We have location, we have budget, we have rental valuation. Okay, so we've started with those three things and they're all important. And these are the questions that you want to be asking when you call up that auctioneer on a property. And firstly, obviously do your homework. There is a rent pressure zone calculator, which you can go and see if a property is in the rent pressure zone or not. So always do that. Don't ask the auctioneer because again, you're giving away a little bit of information when you do that. And if you are calling a property that is in the rent pressure zone, you want to be asking, has it been rented before or not? And if it has, what the rent price is. You usually find if it's low rent, the auctioneer will say something like, oh yeah, I think it's low rent or yeah, I think it's been rented there for a while. They often don't like to give it away, which is a little bit misleading to be honest, but you'll quickly pick up what's going on from their body language. So based on all of this, and I mentioned it again, it's, it's all a process of elimination. We now have a location that we like, a property that's rentable, where we can probably get some sort of market rent valuation, and it's within our budget. So we now go along and we have a look. At this point, we're really just looking for anything that just doesn't quite seem right. The energy rating of the property is also really, really important. I typically wouldn't go for anything that had a bad energy rating. In Ireland, we call it a BER. For me, I'd be looking for things of at least a D1 standard as a minimum. The last thing you want to be doing is putting a tenant into a damp, cold house, because that's just not going to go well for you long term. At this stage, we're having a look through the house, and as, as I mentioned, we're looking for anything a bit funky, but we're also asking this one important question. Could I live here? For me, this was an important question to ask myself, because if that answer was no, then why would I expect to put somebody else and have somebody else living there? So I'd always ask that question and make sure that I was happy with the property and, and I could see it for my own self and for my own family, potentially. From there, we get to the most frustrating part. You've now eliminated probably quite a few properties. I suspect around 80% of the ones that you've looked at, even more, 90%. You've now found a property that matches all of the metrics that we need. Location, budget, rent valuation, and it's a nice property with a fairly decent energy rating. Now, just because you've found all of these things, we then have our next challenge, other bidders. These days, it's very rare to find a half-decent deal without somebody else also coming across the same deal. So you typically are going to find that there's other interested parties interested in making offers on the property. In Ireland, we have this strange system where we effectively have a never-ending auction. One place is a bid, the auctioneer waits for another bid to come in that's slightly higher than the next, and they go back to you and let you know that there's another offer, and do you want to make a higher offer, and so on and so forth. You have absolutely no transparency on the process. For all you know, the other bidder is the brother-in-law of the owner of the house. So for me, I found myself trying to disengage as much as possible from any bidding war. Instead, I would look to work out my best offer and just try to make that. And saying to the auctioneer, making it clear that this was the best offer that I could make. But you can also mix up your strategy a little bit here too. The one that we recently purchased, I made an offer at the asking price. Another offer came in about four days later for one grand more than the asking price. I was very suspicious about this because I felt like it just seemed a bit of an offer out of nowhere. And why would somebody only bid one grand more if they really wanted the property? So I said to the auctioneer, look, I'm not engaging in a never ending bidding war, but I am interested. I had been one of the first to view the property, so I knew it had only been on the market for a very short time. So I said to the auctioneer, I said, look, I do want to make another offer, but I'm in no hurry to make that offer because I don't want this step-by-step -step bidding war that happens, that goes on. I said, when's your next viewing? And he said, oh, the next viewing's Saturday. 
So I called him up on Monday and I said, hey, how did you get on with the viewings? Have you had any more offers? And he said, no. And I said, have you got any more viewings? He said, yeah, I got some more viewings on Thursday. So again, I said, okay, I'll call you Friday. I'll let these viewings go and we'll see how we get on. Friday came and he said, look, we've had no more offers. We're starting to get a little bit impatient. What do you want to do? I always send my offers via email or text. I never do them verbally. I don't like to see the body language of the auctioneer when I give it. So I said, look, I'll get you an offer over. I increased the offer by another 4,000 euros. So I made sure it was a much higher offer than limping in for another one grand. Lo and behold, very next day, the phone call goes and the offer is accepted. Now, I will never know if that other offer was a serious offer or not. It's a very good chance it could have been a friend of the vendors, but it doesn't matter. I have a saying, you're always going to end up paying five grand more for a property than you want to, but in the long run, it's going to seem like chicken feed. The bidding process is the most frustrating thing of property. It is a reason why I suspect a lot of people give up, because you do get to a stage where you just feel like it's just never going your way. Once you do finally get that sale agreed, it takes months for the sale to close. So just be prepared for that. And the paperwork is going to drive you nuts. Ben from the Limerick FI group once told me many moons ago now, ah, sure, you just sign a bit of paperwork and you get your mortgage. That couldn't be further from the truth. The most recent deal that we had, we had to put our own money in. So we've been basically living off our credit card for the last three months because I had to squeeze as much money as I could out of our current account to make the deal work. Now we're still paying that credit card off each and every month, but just to help our cash flow out, we had to do that just to try and make the deal work. Very stressful, very, very stressful. So I definitely don't think it's as easy as you might think. And here's one for a laugh. We recently flew out to London, as you guys know. We had a bit of a disaster getting stuck coming back from London. And as we were leaving, we'd just gone through security at Shannon. I checked my phone and there on my phone was a picture of a sink that had literally fallen off the wall and cracked all over the newly tiled bathroom that we did recently. One of our rentals, the sink had literally fallen over. Thankfully, there was nobody at home at the time that it happened. But these are the sort of things that you're going to be dealing with as a landlord. So make sure that you are prepared for all of this because it definitely isn't passive. However, for me, property is a great, great wealth builder. It's likely that we will sell at least some of our investment properties one day, but I know that in the meantime, it's a great way for us to build our wealth. I'm extremely passionate about property. So if you do have any questions on this stuff, guys, please do reach out to me at michael at firepodcast.ie. Today, it was really just the tip of the iceberg, but hopefully it gives some help on how to get started. As always, if you have any questions on this episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.